We're going to try that again. Eric tried it, but he is risen. And we as a church will say he is risen indeed. Let's be excited about it. It's Easter morning. He is risen. He is. He is. Would you pray with me? We'll pray an old Anglican prayer. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your son's sake, God's people said, Amen. Well, on Friday, we witnessed the witnesses, or we saw the witnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus, then the witnesses to the death of Jesus, and then the witnesses to the burial of Jesus. And these were, as we saw, reliable, first-hand sources of, and first-hand experiences and worthy witnesses of what took place in John chapter 19. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we will be in John chapter 20 this morning. But as we reflect on the resurrection, we have to remember the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God that was slain on yours and my behalf. And so we'll read in John chapter 20. We'll be uh, spending our time in that entire chapter this morning, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linens, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So these disciples, Mary, they go to this tomb. They would not have gone to the wrong tomb. They know where it was. They knew Jesus was where he was laid to rest. And our first witnesses to the resurrection this morning was a woman. It was Mary. And then it was the disciples. Where these events, they take place on the first day of the week, Sunday, which is why we worship on Sundays since this day. The Sabbath is now over, and these women, they go to finish, or this woman goes to finish their work. And as the morning sun rises, the darkest hour of the morning becomes the perfect counterpart to the darkness that is still in Mary's heart, that still shrouds her understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
Whereas a couple days prior, Jesus had again predicted his resurrection, but her heart was still dark. Her eyes were still blind and her ears were still deaf. But what's great, church, is that God delights to honor and deem that which is foolish as wisdom so that we would boast only in him. And so he uses this woman as his first witness. And if you were in the first century, you would not choose a woman as your first witness. And this is not because women are any less valuable, but it was part of their culture in a courtroom setting. But Mary is the one who goes to the tomb. And in verse 2, she sees that something is off, and she goes and runs and tells the disciples. And Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John the evangelist, the writer of this gospel, go to see what has taken place. And you may recall from last week, where Peter is the one who declared to Jesus, where else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. He is in the right state of mind in chapter 6. But in chapter 18, Peter's the one who denies Jesus. Peter is still growing in his growth of holiness. He is not perfect yet, but God still chooses him as the first one to know of the resurrection. If you were going to find a second witness other than this woman, you probably wouldn't choose the foolish Peter to be that person who had just denied Jesus a couple days prior. But Peter, like Mary, she was, he wasn't expecting the resurrection. And if you wanted a perfect witness, you would want a witness who was ready to be there, who was ready to proclaim what had happened. Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead. So you would probably want someone to be there with their phone ready. I know when this is going to happen. They're going to take a picture. They're going to put it on social media. But these folks, they just go about their day not expecting the resurrection to take place. And don't you love the honesty where these two disciples go? And John is the writer of this gospel, and he makes it very clear that he's a quicker runner than Peter. A whole verse in the scripture, just to say that he's a faster runner than Peter. In verse 20, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran him and reached the tomb first. It shows that these men are just truly human, just like you and I. If we can do something better than another person, we're going to make sure we write it down or we talk about it. And when they arrive at the tomb, it's clear that Jesus is not there. They know which tomb it is. It's been three days, so clearly most of Jerusalem probably knew what had taken place, and they knew the tomb that Jesus was laid in. I'm sure that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had other conversations about what had taken place when they put Jesus into this tomb. And the evidence testified by John was that there was no body. Thieves would not have left the shroud unwrapped and this head piece folded up neatly. They would have taken the entire body, including the wrappings, if they were going to steal the body. But the evidence is there that Jesus has risen. But they haven't yet believed that yet. And so Peter, he goes into the tomb. John went in after him. And in verse 8, it says that John saw and believed. And the preaching and the rapid growth in the early church is unexplainable apart from an empty tomb. It's why we gather here this morning. It's the belief in the resurrection of Jesus that makes everything in God's word valid and true. 
And if, the God, if John had wrote this gospel inaccurately, it would have been refuted. There is witnesses to what has taken place. They'd say, John, you didn't go to see the tomb if he wasn't really there. You were maybe at the market that morning. Or Peter, he was so scared after Jesus had died and was buried that maybe he went up to Antioch. But they didn't because it actually happened. These witnesses were there. No one refuted it. And the story carried on and shared person after person. And the church exploded. Where the Son of God, the Word made flesh, predicted His own death. He predicted His own resurrection. And the same body that they put into the tomb three days earlier is the same body that rose. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen that belief in Jesus' resurrection would cause one to believe not just the Scriptures, but also the words that came out of Jesus' mouth. As Peter said, the words of eternal life. In verse 9, it shows us that they still didn't believe. They didn't understand the Scriptures. And if you were writing a testimony of the things that took place, one doesn't normally write down the things that make one look foolish or make one look like they don't understand what's going on. When I got my first speeding ticket, I didn't tell my parents everything that took place because, of course, the cop didn't write down the exact speed I was going. We don't blame ourselves for the homework we don't do, right? We blame the dog. Not that we weren't prepared, not that we didn't want to do it, not that we forgot, Neither Peter nor John at this point understood from the scriptures that Jesus had risen from the dead. They both look foolish, but God uses the foolishness of men to shame the wise. They're the best witnesses that could be, could be picked for this occurrence. In this first section, it ends abruptly, does it not? It says they just went home. The first witnesses to the resurrection are fools. But they write these things down because they know they are true afterwards. But Mary, she remained there. And she further emphasizes the validity of the things that took place in the tomb. Look at, me with, look at verse 11 with me. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposed him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to his disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. So the disciples, John and Peter, they have left. Mary stays. And the text says that some angels have appeared. Again, 
John and Peter, they look foolish. They have left. They didn't even want to stick around to see what had taken place. But in, and in writing a biography of Jesus, you would think that John would leave some of those parts out, the mistakes that he and Peter had made. But again, the testimony is true, even at the expense of his own honor. The tomb is no longer in the hands of men. That God has now taken over what is going on in this tomb as part of his mystery. And Mary, she still didn't believe the resurrection either. She thought someone has taken the body. In verse 14, Jesus appears and she didn't even recognize who he was for some reason. And often when we look at stories like this, from the outside, we think, how could you be so Lame and not understand what is going on. You walked with Jesus for years. How do you not know that he is the one that you are speaking to? But friends, without the ability to see from God, we are all blind. Like the crowds we've seen for a few weeks who were blind and missed Jesus. Like the disciples who we saw were blind and missed Jesus. So too, Mary was blind and she missed Jesus. And we can be honest, just like we were before we believed. And Jesus then calls her by name. If you're familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, you know this story. It says Mary. And the Jesus Storybook Bible says nobody calls her name Mary like Jesus does. Only one person says her name like that, and Jesus says one word, and she sees a word of eternal life. And Mary, she clings to Jesus. She holds on to Jesus. And let's read again verse 17, where Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And what Jesus was doing here was he was preparing Mary for a time where he would not still be there, where he would ascend to heaven and she couldn't physically cling to him anymore on this earth. Jesus is not merely recovered from a sickness. He is resurrected from the dead and he will ascend into heaven after this. And Mary should recognize him now as Lord and Christ, who will soon ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And like Peter and John, Mary's testimony could have been refuted if it wasn't true. If she was somewhere else, if she was doing something else, if something different happened, it would have been refuted by those who knew what took place. But the testimony remains, friends, because it is true. And we've seen two fools and we've seen a spiritually blind woman and now Jesus goes to the ten. To ten other witnesses, the rest of the disciples as witnesses to the resurrection. Look with me at verse 19, please. On the end of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So these men were scared. They had locked the doors. 
They had stayed together, locked in a room because they were scared of those outside of the twelve, the Jews. And Jesus, he enters in. The text does not say how Jesus entered into the room. And against popular assumption, that doesn't mean he walked through a wall. But for fear of the world, it, fo it forces these believers, it forces these disciples, like it forces many Christians, to focus on those powers of the world. And it's not like us, or it's like us not wanting to share the gospel, to proclaim truth. I think we can relate to this fear. And in confusion and fear, they huddle into themselves. They're scared of what's going on outside. And Jesus enters in and he says one word of importance, and that is peace, the Hebrew word shalom. Peace combined with his words on the cross that it is finished, bring about the reconciliation and life as a gift of God, reconciling them with God and reconciling them with each other. And to make it even more compelling, he shows them his hands, his scars, his side, further proof that he rose from the dead. There is no doubt that this is Jesus. It wasn't a lookalike. It wasn't someone else mistaken as Jesus. It shows us that it wasn't someone else who was on the cross three days prior who died, but it was Jesus. And the disciples were directed to grasp that the risen Lord is none other than their crucified Savior who was crucified three days earlier. And their fear turns into joy. And as a response, Jesus commands them to bear witness. He promises them the Holy Spirit. And since that day, they proclaim the gospel to others, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus. And it's what we are doing here this morning and will do every Sunday morning. And so friends, disciples, Christians, we get to proclaim the gospel until Jesus comes back. These fearful disciples with all their doubts become the next faithful witnesses to the resurrection. And it's passed on from generation of Christian to generation of Christian to us today. But in their fear, Jesus commands them to be bold with the gospel. And all of our witnesses we've seen so far would have kept their shame, the ignorance, and the doubts to themselves, they wouldn't have done so if it wasn't true. The fools are turned to the wisest proclaimers. The blind are turned into lights of the gospel. The fearful are turned into bold proclaimers and evangelists because all of these things that took place are true. Then we finish our witnesses with Thomas one who was missing when Jesus appeared to them in the room. A specific disciple this time, and he has some big doubts. And so let's pick it back up in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Thomas, he had legitimate reasons not to believe and to doubt because he wasn't with the others when Jesus appeared to them. He had a long list of things that he wanted to make sure that Jesus proved to him if he truly did uh, raise from the dead to validate his doubts. He says, unless I see the hands, his hands, the mark of the nails, and put my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And the text says he had to wait a whole week. But Jesus meets him, knowing his doubts, knowing his list, and he gives him everything he's asked for. Jesus, in taking up Thomas's challenge, proves that he hears his disciples even though he's not physically present with them or when we ask for dumb stuff. Jesus wants to remove all the grounds of unbelief that we have. Thomas says in response to seeing and feeling and touching Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus meets Thomas in his doubts and he leaves him with peace and he leaves him with joy. And the words that Thomas responds of my Lord in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same word that is used for Yahweh. Jesus is his Lord, but he's also his God, the almighty, powerful, sovereign God of the universe. And Thomas proclaims the two highest words of deity for Jesus in response. And Jesus finishes with an admonition. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is true for even us today. You can trust the witnesses that you've seen who have come before you. John's readers and us have no disadvantage compared to the 10 who had, and the first followers of Jesus who have seen him and touched him and listened to his voice. Though we haven't seen Jesus, we can believe in Jesus. As Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so, friends, you can have faith in the testimony of those who have come before you. You can, you can proclaim those truths as well, that Jesus is your Lord. He is your God. And this proclamation is powerful. You can proclaim to others and hear, bear witness to, to the powerful transformation in your own life provided by Jesus to be your Lord and to be your God. And this, as we've seen, is why John wrote his gospel, as we've seen again, and we'll see it again in verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says Jesus did many other things, but his resurrection is the most important thing. He said he would rise, he said he would die, or he, sorry, he said he would die, he said he would rise, and he did both. And so we should follow whatever else he says for us to do. Those who have not seen the risen Christ and have yet believed are blessed. 
Therefore, this book has been composed so that you as well can believe. Jesus says he will give life to those who believe. His resurrection proves who he was. And may that never be so, those words of Thomas, of us, where he said he will never believe. And Jesus made him eat his words. My prayer is that we as a church would believe. C.S. Lewis wrote this about the person and work of Jesus that all hinges on this testimony that we reflect on today of the resurrection. It's in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis says, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is, one, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said was not a great moral teacher or would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or someone else. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And C.S. Lewis finishes. He says, Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Friends, you can believe. You can trust this testimony. You can trust Jesus that he rose and we gather today to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior as we do every Sunday. The Word made flesh, He died on a Friday as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world and He rose on Easter Sunday to prove that He was God. In our foolishness, in our blindness, in our fears, in our doubts, Jesus, He comes to us. He reveals Himself to us and what He has done for us. And like Peter proclaimed last week, where else shall we go? Because he has the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that he is the Holy One of God. Friends, the resurrection, it changes everything. It proves Jesus is who he said he would be and said he is. It validates that what he came to do and it causes us to live life with a different purpose. It causes us to proclaim the gospel to others. It causes us because it's the only hope that a lost and dying world has and whom we all used to be part of. Friends, our Lord and our God has risen from the dead. And so he is risen. And we respond as a church, he is risen indeed. And Jesus, as you may recall, told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now is the time. Now is the hour where we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what greater reason 
to worship that our Savior rose from the dead. And let's sing now. For our Lord and our God has done great things. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in our doubts, in our fears, in our ignorance, you come to us. You don't leave us where we're at. You meet us where we're at. While we were enemies at the right time, you died for the ungodly, for us in this room, and that the gift and the grace that comes through your Son is proven in his resurrection from the dead. And so God, like Thomas, we proclaim and we believe that your Son is our Lord and God. And it changes everything. And so God, we ask now that you would help us to worship in spirit and truth and give you the praise that only you are due. For you have given us much grace, including the gift to believe. So would you be honored in the rest of our time together? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.